as I said, we're in our uh, family series now, and um, we are going to try and tackle two very big topics before we get ice cream. And the topics are friendship, biblical friendship, and also community. People say community all the time. It's like the cool thing to say. Am I missing something of the Bible? Because I'm not sure I see community in there. But but anyway, we'll talk about that second. But let's talk about this first. Uh, we want to talk about what is a friend. You say, well, friendship. Kind of a different relationship that you find in the Bible. Because all the other relationships sort of take up all of your time. I mean, come on, who's married here? Right. Oh, come on now, Aubrey. Franks, come to the front, please. No, kidding. But right, right, when you get married, right? Uh, that, along with your work and your relationships with your boss and your work co-workers, and then you, you, if, if, you're, uh, uh, if God calls you to be married, then that uh, takes a lot of time. And then, of course, uh, if you have children along with that, then that takes up a lot of time. And friendship, as you get older, would you agree, sort of gets pushed to the side for a lot of people. It sort of gets pushed to the side, and it becomes something that be, uh, needs to be very intentional. Right now, you're in junior high, uh, uh, high school, friends, 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 friends. But when you get out into college and then to the working world, and then it, again, if you get married or have kids, all those things, it's going to take a lot of effort uh, to have friends and to be a friend. But we still want to talk about it because, very interesting, I say this all the time, I think if I was writing the Bible, which I didn't, so praise the Lord, I would have done it in a bullet point fashion. Salvation, ding, 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 ding. Or maybe I'd start with creation. Let's start with creation. Creation, ding, 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 ding. Salvation, uh, justification, uh, sanctification, uh, glorification, uh, propitiation, ah, threw that one in on you. And on and on and on you go, you, you would just maybe do some bullet points, but God didn't do it that way. Have you ever thought about this? God wrote the Bible through families. And including that, or as an out, uh, offshoot of that, there's several friends in the Bible that God gives us lessons to. I'm just going to give you a couple. You could uh, probably bring up, uh, you know, lots uh, more. But here, just think about this. Of course, everybody in the Old Testament is going to talk about David and Jonathan and their friendship. And you can find that in First uh, uh, Samuel 18 through 20. But have you ever thought about this? Elijah and Elisha. Now, Elijah and Elisha, had a friendship, but it was more a mentor, mentee friendship. Isn't that interesting? And then, of course, Naomi and Ruth. They were related in one respect, uh, mother-in-law, daughter-in-law, but also their story and this unbelievable, amazing doctrine of the kinsman redeemer is told through tragedy. The death of these men and uh, through Naomi and Ruth. I want to take you to one place in the New Testament now, and there's more than one place, but let's just go over here. Go over to Philippians chapter 2 with your Bible. Philippians chapter 2. 
I say this every time we preach in Acts. I'm blown away by... Paul, because there was nobody smarter than Paul. I mean, this guy wrote the book of Romans, enough said, right? And he was highly educated and he was, his nose was in books. You know, the extra biblical writings say that his rabbi couldn't keep him in books. They would give them to him and he would devour them. But look, Paul, everywhere he went, had friends. And here's one place where you can see Paul and a friend. And I want to read it to you or with you. Ready? Chapter 2, verse 25. Yet I considered it necessary to send to you, Epaphroditus, my brother. Isn't that sweet? It's like, why? He doesn't have to say all that stuff. But he loves him. My brother, fellow worker, fellow soldier but your messenger and the one who ministered uh, to my need. Um, Since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. For indeed, he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice. Just catch this. I mean, if you don't understand what's going on here, Paul cares about people. I mean, that's important to him. And I may be less sorrowful. And then verse 29, receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death. Here's a friend of Paul's. You getting this? And what does this one little sentence or maybe these few little sentences or verses tell you about friendship? Real biblical friends, listen folks, write it down. Sacrifice for one another. They give up their time, their energy. They go to the mat for their friends. Because for the work of Christ, he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Wow. You talk about friends. These are deep, loving friend relationships. And you can see it again. David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, Naomi and Ruth. Here you got Paul and some of his friends in the New Testament. And you know, the Bible has lots to say about friendship. And you, uh, in particular, can look and maybe just jot these down and I'll read them to you because they're quick. But you can look uh, in the Proverbs and it's all over the place. And what would you say the book of Proverbs is? It's a book of, it starts with a W. Book of what? Wisdom. And in the book of wisdom, you have all these Proverbs about friends. In fact... Maybe the, the most famous of them all, or one of the most famous of them all, as we examine what it is to be a friend, is this. Proverbs seventeen seventeen. And I want you to read, think about this. A friend loves at all times. Sacrifice. If you're going to be a friend, or you're seeking out friends, listen, 
a real friend, a biblical friend, a, a Holy Spirit filled friend is one that loves at all times. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be over at their house all the time. You need to give mom and dad or the other kid a break. <laughs> That's a joke. A friend loves at all times doesn't mean you're with them all the time. What this means is in all seasons, on all the different things that you're going through. A friend will love like that. It costs something. It, it's a sacrifice. They'll go with you to the, to, it, through the hurts and the troubles and the tribulations, and they expect that in return. But a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Now, there's two ways you can think about that verse. You can think, wow, when adversity comes, that friend becomes a brother. Because through adversity, you become like your siblings. Or you can think of this verse this way, and some do think of it this way. That a friend in Christ is sometimes better than a sibling. Why? Because a sibling, yeah, they got your back. But what this is saying is, is that a friend desires to be with you when you need them. Or even when you don't need them. A friend chooses and desires to pick you. You get that? And sometimes families... Just, oh, they'll be around in adversity, but what about the times to just hang out and care for one another? Not always. Some people believe that's what it means. But what is a friend? A friend is a companion, a trusted companion, a loving companion that loves at all times. How about this? I told you this. This is a funny proverb. Proverbs twenty-five seventeen says this, Seldom set foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. (laughs) Isn't that hysterical? But again, what's it telling you that? You don't have to be at somebody's house all the time to be a friend who loves at all times. Get it? How about this one? Proverbs 18.24. It's similar to what we read in Proverbs 17.17. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Now, I could do a whole thing on that. You want to have friends? Do you like to have friends? Well, you got to be friendly, people. I mean, you can't just yell at people and bark at people and do all this and then go, why don't I have any friends? It might be because you're barking and yelling. A man who has friends must himself be friendly. But watch this. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And guess what the word sticks is in the Bible? Cleave. You ever hear that one? Yeah, because sometimes they talk about it in terms of the marriage uh, relationship. And so uh, there's people who come together as friends. A friends who, uh, uh, or a, uh, there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Now, I wanted to tell you that in the Proverbs, it tells you how to pick close friends. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, okay, I want you to answer this question right now. Am I a follower of Jesus Christ? Answer that question. Because there's a way that you can pick friends worldly, and there's a way that you can pick friends by the Bible. And here in Psalm 119, it tells us how to pick friends. Ready? I am a companion of all who fear you. 
And of those who keep your precepts, that's Psalm 119.63. Check that out again. I am a companion of all who fear you and of those who keep your precepts, Psalm 119.63. How about this, Proverbs 12.26. As we examine, how do we pick our friends? Ready? The righteous should choose his or her friends carefully. For the way of the wicked leads them astray. Anybody here ever heard of C.S. Lewis? You ever heard of C.S. Lewis? Okay, good. Do you you know what uh, Narnia is? Folks know what Narnia is? Well, forget Narnia for a second. He wrote a book called The Four Loves. Did you know this? Anybody ever read that book? Wow, Nikki, all right. You know what? <laughs> you know what C.S. Lewis says in his book? You know what C.S. Lewis says is how you discover and pick and choose friends? When you come to the place where you say and you meet somebody and you go, listen, this is what he says in his book. It's astounding. He goes, wait a minute. You too? Wait, wait, wait. I'm going to say that again because you're not getting it. C.S. Lewis says the way in which friends happen is not that you force friends. I like football. Let's be football friends. That's what I would do. C.S. Lewis says that great friends are forged when you meet somebody and you come to this realization of, wait, you too? And I want you to see something. In the life of the Christian, you see, there's something really liberating about finding another person who has the life of Christ pulsing in and out of their life. You know, you can go to Georgia. Who has the Georgia shirt on in here? Oh, my, my. We love Ohio State around here, so you got to get that off. But anyway, (laughs) you can go to Georgia. You could go, dare I say, to Michigan. Probably not Michigan, but maybe. But seriously, you could go all the way across the world and maybe sort of speak the language and find out that somebody is a born-again, spirit-filled Christian and instantly you have in common with them the life of Christ. And the Bible tells us that when you become a Christian, listen to this, you get put into the family of God when you formerly weren't. You get put in the family of God. You come into the body of Christ, universal body of Christ, and then you go and you get in a local church and that's your, uh, you know, subset of the big body of Christ. But why am I telling you that? Is because when you have that in common, the life of Christ, when you see that people desire, can you imagine a kid? I mean, listen, when I was in high school, 10 days, I, I didn't, that wasn't me, folks. It was not me. Ten days to come and to praise the Lord and study. And you folks are doing it and are excited. And you parents, parents, did you hear those folks singing tonight? You're like, what is happening here? It's amazing. And when you find somebody like that, see, here's what happens. You become friends. And what's liberating about becoming a friend God's way is you don't pick friends like you used to before you were a Christian. Oh, you run in this circle and you're this type of kid or you're that type of kid? Okay, I can be friends with you. That's how I used to pick friends. How sick is that? 
But now what happens is you've become a Christian. Your identity is now in Christ. Your identity isn't you're in music, although it's great to be in music. Your identity is not sports, although you're in, it's great to be in sports or drama, although it's great to be in drama. Your identity is you're in Christ. And now the exciting part about all that is, is that God's calling people from all different walks of life. And I'm free now, free to be friends and to love people who have the life of Christ, no matter what they look like or where they come from, who the life of Christ, we share it. See how beautiful friendship is? So you can discover friends. And you know this, that friends have a big influence on you. I mean, this is attributed to about 7,500 authors, but show me your friends and I'll show you your future type of stuff, right? But it's in the Bible in Proverbs 13, 20. He who walks with wise men will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. That's true, right? And it's so wonderful and it's so beautiful. And I want you to see something. Friendship is rooted in Jesus Christ. How many of you know that? Friendship is rooted in Jesus Christ. In fact, the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of mankind, the greatest thing that ever happened in the history of mankind, Jesus Christ going to the cross, dying for our sins and rising again. Listen to this. Friendship is mentioned in the verses that talk about that. John fifteen thirteen. if you don't know it, memorize it. Greater love has no man or no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. How about this? Everybody turn with me to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. I want you to see it with your own eyes. John chapter 16. I gotta find it though. <laughs> I'm looking. You you're welcome to show me. <laughs> In John chapter sixteen, Jesus says that he's going away. And he's going to die. And this whole, these whole several verses, or excuse me, chapters, John 15, actually John 14, John 15, John 16, uh, John 17, he's telling and describing to his followers. He's telling them that he's got to go away. It's the night before he's uh, ready to die, and he's telling them that he's got to go away. And he says uh, that... He's going to consider them as friends. And I'm having trouble finding it. If you see it in there, you just yell it out to me. But it's in John chapter 16. I know it is. Anybody see it? (laughs) Oh, John 14. Well, no wonder. What verse? 
Well, somebody look it up on their phone and tell me, because I'm backwards there. But let's think about this as we uh, consider that Jesus' uh, friendship is rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus. You catching that? I want you to remember that. Jesus, or excuse me, friendship is rooted in the sacrifice of Jesus. There we go. Read it to me, please. Go ahead, read it. Yeah, but later on in 15, I think. There you go, go. There you go. You're my friends, you know, if you do with my command. And if you keep going, he's even going to talk to them in 14 then. I just got the chapters mixed up. He's going to talk to them about being friends. Can you imagine Jesus calling his followers friends? Can you believe this almost? It's, it's almost too hard to believe. That the one, the king, who came out of heavens and died for us would call us his friends. Amazing. So it's rooted in that. And so just even thinking about what we have talked about so far, what is a good friend look like? He loves at all times or she loves at all times in all seasons. In other words, watch, I want you to think about that. You go, okay, love at all times. What about when the person royally screws up? Maybe even they were wrong about something. Maybe even they had a moral failure. You see, a love... That's real love. Loves that person when other people would desert them. Do you catch that? Everybody catch that? They love at all times. In the good times, in the bad times, in the embarrassing times, in the hard times, all those sorts of things. And what else do friends do? Galatians tells us that there's no distinction between people from socioeconomic backgrounds or any other distinction that man makes. So whether you're brown or white or yellow or red or whatever color you are, or if you from the rich part of town or the poor part of town, doesn't matter. In Christ, you see, we're free to love everybody, which means here's what a friend does. Everybody pay attention right here. A friend does what the Lord does. They look out and they see people on the fringe. Write this down. If you only get one thing from this, write this down. They look out and they see people on the fringe and they go and get them and bring them back and they become friends with them. Isn't that amazing? That's what the Lord does. So you got that. And then I want you to see something. There are these really weird Proverbs that are really hard to figure out. Listen to this one. Proverbs 2520. Ready for this? Just listen to this. Did you even know this was in here? Like one who takes away a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. Doesn't that sound disjointed? I don't even know what it means totally, but it sounds disjointed. Like why when your garment gets taken away and vinegar's on a soda, do you sing and then you're singing songs to a heavy heart? Or how about this one? Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. How about this one? He who blesses his friend with a loud voice, Proverbs 27, 14, rising early in the morning, it will be counted a curse to him. Do you know what I think these um, Proverbs are saying? I know some of us are starting to tune out and think about 
you know, sprinkles and crunch coat and all that sort of thing. You know what I think it's saying? Is that real friends hurt and have compassion when their friend hurts and has compassion. They're not emotionally disconnected from their friends. You get it? You ever had a friend and you say, you know what? I can't believe what I just did. I bombed and I said this and I hurt this person's feelings and I da 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 and I just feel awful about it. And your friend's like, hey, let's go down and get some burgers. That's what the proverb's saying here. You get what I mean? That's not what a real friend does. A real friend, when you're hurting, hurts too. When you're rejoicing, rejoices too. Roots for you, encourages you, tries to prop you up. You understand? That's what a real friend does. How about this? It's amazing that these are in here now. Because here in America, even as parents, we try to teach our kids to get away from people like this. And yet, this is healthy for us. Ready? Ready for this? Proverbs 27, verse 5. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. We can't even get Little League coaches to keep score. I I can't believe it. We don't teach our kids to fail. What's wrong with failing? Nothing wrong with failing. You just get up and try again. Maybe I'll hear about that one. Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Do you catch this? In other words, in your friendships, biblical friendships, find somebody and give them permission to tell you the truth. You're all not catching that. So that your friend will speak life into you. Because oftentimes, would you agree you have a blind spot? You're doing something and you don't see it, but your friend who loves you can see it. I want to show you something. You ought to give permission to your friend to tell you the truth. But hey, let me tell you something else. Hey, friend, if you're not telling your friend what's going on, I believe you're sinning. You know why? Because you like yourself and want to be liked more than you want to help your friend. Isn't that weird? It's like it's like you're making yourself the idol. Now, time out here, folks. (laughs) The Bible tells us to speak truth in love. You don't have to whack your friend over the head. (laughs) You tell people things in love, truthfully and lovingly. But the Bible here, several times in the realm of friendship, says that you should be honest and truthful with your friends. Listen to just a few more. He who rebukes a man, Proverbs 28, 23, will find more favor afterwards than he who flatters with the tongue. Proverbs 29.5, I can hardly believe this one's in there. A man who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. When you don't tell your friend, you know, if you continue down that road, it's going to go bad for you. It's like you're leading them over into the trap, and you're not preventing it. That's what the Bible says. So that friends are honest. And friends go through hard things together. Watch this. This is maybe the most famous friend verse, Proverbs 27, 17. As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. Watch. 
It's okay. Paul and Barnabas did it. Boom, to even clash sometimes. Are you catching that? It's okay to clash sometimes. You know, there's a lot of different choices. The Bible doesn't spell them all out. And maybe you come to a place with your friend where you sort of butt heads. Well, you can do it in a constructive way where you sharpen one another. You get that? So that's being a friend. What's interesting about this is, watch. (laughs) When I start talking about this, it's sort of like the Proverbs 31 woman. You look at that and you go, huh, I'm not very good at being a friend. (laughs) Oh, maybe it's only me. You ever think of that? You go down the list here and you go, wow, do I actually have friends that are like that? And I would say that I do, but do I have friends that are like that? And oh, by the way, here, watch. Am I a friend like that? And what's very fascinating about this is, is that you could apply, and John sent me something this morning but uh, uh, about this, but you could apply all of these Proverbs to the Lord Jesus Christ. A friend loves at all times. How about that one? Jesus loves at all times. And um, uh, he's friendly and he sticks closer than a brother. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that he calls us the brethren, the brothers, or the sisters, family. And you could go on and on and on and on, and he is the perfect friend. Now see, again, that frees you up. (laughs) Here's why. Stay with me on this. If you're developing your love and sustenance and resource spiritually from Jesus, your friend, you understand? You can deal now, watch, with letdowns. You can deal with somebody rejecting you. Why? Because you're deriving your sense of worth and identity from Christ himself. So that if you meet up with somebody and it doesn't go well, as much as it's up to you, you're being good and friendly with somebody, but it doesn't go well. Ever had that happen? Where you've been nice and you like it blows up in your face and you're like, what just happened? Right? And then some people get completely jammed up by that and are fractured and are paralyzed from it, emotionally, spiritually, etc. But if we're going to the one who is the ultimate friend, I mean, think about it. Here he is, the ultimate friend. Remember we said one of the first things that marks a good friend is sacrifice. Can you imagine marching up to Jerusalem, knowing you're going to march to the cross? Think about this. And you take your 11 best friends into the garden to pray with you. And you get to the garden, you say, hey, three of the best friends, you come with me. And the three come with you and you say, hey, just stay here. I'm going to go in a little bit farther and I'm going to pray. And you come out and your friends are asleep. What would you think? You, I can't believe it, right? 
But Jesus didn't say all of that. He was sacrificing and he was betrayed. Why? Because he was deriving his identity and power and resource and relationship and his sweetness and his resolve and all the resources he needed to march to the cross from the Father. And here's the thing. You can do uh, derive all of that as he fills you up with the Holy Spirit as you commune with him so that when you get in a place where somebody rejects you, yeah, you don't want to be rejected, of course, but now your identity is tied up in this way, not this way. It's beautiful. It's amazing. What Praise the Lord for that sort of thing. Well, here, here's another thing. Uh, friendship is, you know, faithful, being there at all times. It's, you know, being connected, not being on a different wavelength, hurting for your friends, hurting when they hurt, celebrating when they uh, uh, celebrate and lifting them up and uh, being truthful. And those are sorts of things that uh, mark a good friend. Of course, again, Jesus is the best of friends. Well, tying that in, let's just talk a little bit about this word, community. Community. By, by the way, let me read you something before we leave the topic. This is from Warren Wearsby on how to pick friends. One of the most important tests of friendship is what my uh, soon-to-be friend's attitude is towards the Bible. What? That wasn't my evaluations when I was a kid, but praise the Lord. Does he accept it? Does she accept it? Do they receive the word of God as truth? Do they fear God with a reverential awe and love for him? If you guys are in a right relationship to God through his word, you'll be in right relationship with people, and your friends will be God's friends. Now, one last thing, we're going to leave. Okay, but what about this? Jesus sat with sinners, and he was comfortable with sinners, right? Is that true? He was friends with sinners. So what's the deal? And the Bible tells us that we are to be separate. Somebody over here prayed for that this morning. To be separate from the world, even as we move out into the world and take the gospel to a hurting world. Get it? And so you can go in these places as long as it's not upsetting your witness. Okay, community. Let's talk about community real quick. i got 15 minutes. Community. Now, community is this, according to Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Who's ever heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Yeah. Eric Metaxas wrote a recent book about him, and uh, there's a book that we have down in our resource center called Life Together by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Here's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says community is. By the way, if you said what was one thing you enjoyed about Narraway, what would you say it's having the community? Would you say that's one thing that's true? Yes or no? Raise your hand if you say yes. Yeah, I mean, right. Community. So let's examine what that is. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this. Because my daughter said something yesterday during worship that was so wise, and I don't know if everybody caught it, and that's this. The community doesn't save you. I want you to hear that. 
The community doesn't save you. The blood of Jesus and his new life and resurrection is what saves. You understand that? But God gives us this gracious gift of community to help all of us pursue that and help all of us heal and help all of us forgive and help all of us praise as we row in the same direction. That's what community does. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book, and some of you need to hear this before you leave Narrowway. Ready? Pay attention right here. Some of them, some of us uh, uh, are, are on this side of the coin. Let him who cannot be alone. Raise your hand if you can't be alone. <laughs> okay, now listen to this. Now don't take this as somebody getting after you. Take this as something to pray about. Watch. Let him who cannot be alone be aware of, or beware of community. Are you getting that? If you can't be alone, beware of community. If you're that loner type who always is rabid for being around people at the church, beware is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says. Why? You only do harm to yourself and to the community. Alone you stood before God when he called you, and alone you had to answer that call, and alone you had to struggle and pray. But listen to this. Wait a minute. Hold on now. Watch. But the reverse is also true. Ready? Let him who is not in community beware of being alone. Did you catch that? You ever heard the person says, I don't need to go to church. I can just go out on the golf course and worship the Lord or hike or do whatever, and uh, we'll be fine. Well, they're messed up, too, in terms of what God calls us to. Into the community your call, and the call was not meant for you alone. In the community of the call, you bear your cross. So watch. If you're a person that struggles to be alone, you need this. Watch out, because you can depend on this instead of Jesus. But if you're another person who stays out of the church because you just like to be a loner, be careful. You need community. In other words, we need a balance. Wouldn't you say that's true? Okay, listen. I want to read this to you real quick. Here's what Bonhoeffer says community is. Community isn't just getting together your friends for game night and having fun at games. You know that? Listen to this. Christian or Christianity means community, ready for this? Through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. No Christian community is more or less than this. Whether it be brief, a brief single encounter or the daily fellowship of years, Christian community is only this, only what? It's through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus Christ. Are you catching that? So what Bonhoeffer says Christian community is, it's what the world reveals is that Christ came down and gives us new life and now we all share it and that everything we do is based on the shared life of Christ and his word. Now, is there anything wrong with playing games? No, I don't think so. But it's just not Christian community. <laughs> it's just friends being around friends, and that's okay too. 
So, community. Allowing, uh, God is allowed uh, to live this life with others because of his grace. And now we have a family. Watch. I'm going to read you the verse. He made us adopted as sons and daughters by Jesus to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. All right. I can see you're glazing over, and that's okay. I'm going to tell you two more things. One thing is, I'm not sure what it is is you're craving community. That's the buzzword. What you're creating, I think, is fellowship. Koinonia, the Bible calls it koinonia. When we get into fellowship, the Bible calls what we do koinonia, which is fellowship, which where we come together and we exalt the name of Jesus and we uh, encourage one another and we sing to one another with spiritual songs and hymns and we come together and we exhort one another. I think that's what we're craving. And the Bible says in Acts 2.42, I read it to you several times this week, that that's what the early church did. Watch. Acts 2.42. Just go there. Community. What did the early church do? And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Fellowship. There it is. Koinonia. In the breaking of bread and in prayers. That was the community that the early church shared, was that doctrine, fellowship, and the breaking of bread. What do you think fellowship and the breaking of bread is? We did it earlier today. We ate together. There's something about eating together that's intimate. And I also think it's talking about communion. And then praying uh, together and singing to one another. That's in a different part of the Bible. Let me take you to a different place that talks about community as we wind this up. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Very famous book in the 70s. It was out of print for a while. And here it is. Called Body Life. Anybody ever heard of Body Life? You probably have to be an old timer like me to hear of Body Life. It's a book written by a guy named Ray Stedman. Ray Stedman in the 70s graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary and he wrote this book and did this in his church and in about two years, not that this is the hallmark of what's success, but in about two years he went from eight families to 15,000 people in his church. And he never gave an altar call. Never. Not one time. Why? Because he trained his people (laughs) in his flock to share the gospels or share the gospel in the highways and byways of life. And he did this. You see that over there? He equipped the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. And he wrote this book called Body Life, and it comes from Ephesians chapter 4. Let's look at it just real quick. Here's what community is. But to each one of us, verse 7 says, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Skip down to verse 9. Now this he ascended 
into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some. Look at this. To be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teaching for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. How do we build up the body of Christ? Equip them for their ministry. Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, etc., etc. And you could keep going. And the reason I tell you that is this. I know, I was long-winded. But I want to tell you something. In the body of Christ, it's not the most talented who should be employed to uh, uh, make the body go. What do I mean? It means that everybody in the whole church should be doing something. They should be equipped by the leadership and the other people in the fellowship to do the ministry that God's called them to. And that is what fellowship revolves around. You get it? Fellowship doesn't mean game night, playing euchre. You grew up in Ohio. You had to play euchre. That's where I grew up. Yeah. All right. There you go. There you go. But, but what, but what fellowship revolves around is serving. Serving. Is that a real different idea of what fellowship is? Well, I think so. And uh, you're put in a church uh, to do those sorts of things. One last thing. What should the fellowship be doing other than equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, other than the apostles' doctrine, praying, etc., and singing songs? Well, here's what they should be doing. They should be doing the one another ministries. Who here has heard of the one another ministries? Raise your hand. One person has heard of the one another ministries. Two, three. Okay, we're going to go through a couple. Listen to this. Be devoted to one another. Romans 12, honor one another. What does it mean to honor somebody? Somebody tell me, what does it mean to honor another person? What does it mean? Show respect. That's great. You honor others in the family. Live in harmony with one another, Romans 12 says. Accept one another. You guys listen to this. Man, If you took this to your schools, just this one, just this one, that you accept one another. You're not in this group or this group. You're in Christ's family. And everybody who walks down the hall, you're gathering and scooping up in grace because you accept them all. You want to make an impact at your school? Do the one another ministries by the power of the Holy Spirit. Accept one another, everybody in your school, from the least talkative to the most gregarious, to this one, to that one. Serve one another in love. That's another ministry. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Ephesians 4. Admonish one another. Encourage one another. Here's one. Spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Be hospitable. Love one another. That's what koinonia is you see it oh boy we're got got blank faces it's got like turtle sundays in their eyes right here i could see it coming back at me 
Well, that's the best I got. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. It's 8:12. I finished three minutes earlier. Three minutes. Yeah. Right. Lauren said, uh, how many minutes prior to 8.15 I uh, uh, finished? That's how many cones I get. So I get three cones. She's buying. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so let's do this. Let's pray. But I, I, before I do, I, I want you to tell you something. I think this is one of the most important pressing things that we can think about as we move out back to our schools. And I know some of us, like me, don't go to school anymore. But I go to a work, and I go to extracurricular places, and I see uh, cliques of moms and dads with the cool soccer kids or the cool hockey kids or the cool these kids. And I say, well, what are you doing, moms and dads? Maybe that person over there is not being included. You see it right there, right in front of your face. Go scoop them up and bring them in. Let's pray. Well, Lord, help us to be good friends as you make us more like yourself. Help us, Lord, to choose good friends. And Lord, help us to have community where we are devoted to one another, we honor one another, we accept one another and serve each other and love one another and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Lord, help us to be those people. Lord, I'd say make us radical like this, but this is the norm for any spirit-filled person. Help us to be spiritually sensitive to other people who maybe aren't like us humanly, but have Christ in their hearts. And then, Lord, help us to reach out to our dark and hurting world, a lonely world. Fill us afresh with your spirit, would you please, in Jesus' name. Amen.